My name is Maddie. And I'm Hannah. We are murder mystery bookworms and aspiring amateur sleuths. We are reading Partners in Crime and over the last year and a half we have gone on over 30 book-based adventures. We investigate a real-life case using advice from murder mystery authors and with the help of our feline psychics, Hercula Hastings. We review a book, find the sleuthing tips and hopefully solve the case. Welcome to the Unsolved Case of the Missing Salmon, the book club for amateur sleuths. I've had a, quite a stressful week. Listeners, do not try and do seven years worth of DIY in three days. It's not fun, I can tell you from experience. Has it actually been seven years since you've done DIY in that flat? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't really think of any DIY that I've done. No, I had a big job where I retiled the bath over a period of, six to seven months it should be a really long time so for context we're selling our flat but we have to get it on the market really quickly so it's meant that I've had to do a lot of tidying and DIY in a very very short space of time I think the thing that I'm most excited about about the new place um I've been informed about which I think is most exciting from my perspective very selfishly is that it's got a studio in the garden for recording the podcast. I mean, that's not what it's for, but that could be its people's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what it is going to be, be for. Yeah, because obviously, as restrictions are lifted in the future, we'll actually be able to record the podcast together. In real life. Yeah. Do you think it will change the dynamic? I think it will change the dynamic, yeah. <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. Oh, yeah, because we won't be like, oh, no, sorry, after you. Oh, no, after you, because you don't do that in my life. That's you? true. I've sort of forgotten. Yeah, I think it'll be different. I think it'll be a different vibe. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I do have a question about the new place. Okay, go for it. Right. I'm assuming it's got a similar layout. Yeah, yes. Yeah, pretty much. Now, my main question slash concern was that one of the, my favourite things about your current flat but the bit on the stairs has the same layout as my as my parents' old house. And I used uh, to like the feel of jumping from step to step on the landing. Will it still have that? I cannot confirm. I'm not sure. I have to confess that I wasn't looking for that when we were looking around. So I'm sure, I don't know why you would be looking for it. Like having should have been, it should have been a priority, and... really. <laughs> think from memory I don't think it does have that so I hope that's not a game changer and you will still want to come around and visit of course of course I will I will also uh, make a point of maybe the first time I come over having a shower because I like that I'm one of the only people that's had a shower at your current flat (laughs) well no apart from obviously me and Andrew who live here yeah I meant like guests (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean ever Oh, that was a really lovely moment in our friendship <laughs> that you felt comfortable having a shower in our flat. I felt more moved by that than I expected to be. <laughs> I think I needed a shower. I sort of turned up your house for it, like not just like just for this. this I don't want them to think that I just turned up and was like, "Can I have a shower?" <laughs> there, I was think I was coming over for something, and I turned up and I, and I needed needed to wash but I don't remember if I'd like had a run or or if I'd turned up and I was like I'm just really sweaty and I'd like to have a quick shower I think that you had been came after netball and you'd been oh. cycling I think it was a double whammy active whammy active whammy <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, I will shower in the new place as well, just to it just spread <laughs> that joy. So, hi, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. So it has been quite. There's been quite a lot of mystery business in the background, I would say, this week. There's been some wheeling and dealing (laughs) because Maddie has decided that, like me, she also wants to collect the vintage penguin versions of Christiana brand, which I highly approve of. They've got such a nice smell, don't they? Is that a strange (laughs) comment? (laughs) They smell of old books, don't yeah, they? They smell lovely. A bit like a kind of half cross between like a library and a secondhand bookshop. It's delightful. That is a great description. If anyone's listening at home, <laughs> grab a book, give it a whiff. It's great. <laughs> but only if it's a book from the 1950s. Yeah. <laughs> Our 1960s will also accept. Yeah. Yeah. So at the it was at the weekend, Maddie sent me a voice note. And I started playing it. Little did I know that this voice note would would reveal some huge mystery-related news. I mean, when I heard it, I genuinely went, oh! Did you actually? Yeah! I was like, oh! So what happened to you related to mystery? Well, great question. So I've, I would say I've got a, a veritable haul. Having gone from no Penguin Classics to three in mere days, it's absolutely non-stop here. <laughs> so firstly, what was on last episode was that I have received very, very quickly, well done Royal Mail, suddenly at his residence from my lovely co-host. So that, that's here. So I've got suddenly at his residence, ready to go, Christiana Brand. However, I think a more satisfying <laughs> find came when, so me and Han talked about getting, me collecting these reads. And then I think maybe even that day, me and Mike, we were away in Dorset, as I, as I mentioned last episode, and we went to Weymouth. And of course, whenever we go somewhere new, Mike basically very sweetly is like, there's a bookshop, because he knows that's what we'll ha- that was what basically what will top the day off for me. So he, he sought out this like, little tiny Aww. second-hand bookshop. And, was like, and it was this tiny little, like, basically just the size of this room shop with a little back section with crime, a crime section, but also Penguin Classics, like all Penguin Classics. And while I was rootling through... I was very excited. I was thinking, this is surely this isn't going to happen after we talked about it today or this. <laughs> and I found London particular at, that we'd spoken about for £2.50. And I lost my mind <laughs> in this tiny shop. I think that the, the shop owner was a bit confused about my joy. Um, and yeah, I was absolutely thrilled. So I've added that to my collection. And then also, not as ha- Han's not as happy about this, but I also found a Marjorie Allingham. For also two pounds, so I thought to bargain go for two yeah. pounds. The, the same style, so it looks nice. And yeah. then <laughs> to top it off, this week I found a copy of Green for Danger for five pounds fifty on eBay, and I bid. I was the only bidder, classic, and I won. Which is my other than the Agatha Christie collection, my first foray into eBay, and I feel delighted that I gave it a go. That's amazing. So was it £5.50 including delivery? Yeah. Oh, well, I salute you. That is excellent eBay work. I wish I could say I kind of hustled for it, but I was the only bidder and then it closed. (laughs) 
So I, I don't know how much that is like a classic situation. No. <laughs> a win's a win's a win. win. Win's a win. So there's that coming yeah. in the post as well. So then I'll have three Christianas. One one at Marjorie Allingham in the Penguin Book selection. I'm okay with it. It's gonna grow. It's great. Oh, it's been a good week great. for me. It has. I mean, I haven't had quite such a haul for MB, but I did win a bid on the hilariously titled Don't Monkey With Murder by an author called Elizabeth Ferraz, who I've never heard of, um, but it is also a Penguin vintage green mystery and crime. There's something wow. very satisfying about them, isn't there? Like, in ter- like yeah, how they lovely. feel. Yeah. And actually, I will send you the link for this. There is a, someone has done a database with all of them. <gasps> yeah. You've sought that out, haven't you? I did. I is did. that because we were talking about you wanting to f- collect all the female authored copies? I'm, I'm toying with it. I'm toying with it. So... Basically, I've hit a wall with Christiana Brand for now because I cannot find a copy of Death of Jezebel, which is the fourth Inspector Cocky book, Inspector Cockerel book, anywhere for a non-ridiculous price. So the only copy I've managed to find is £75 and I'm not feeling, I mean, that's... Just bought a house. Just bought a house. Not really much. Yeah, I can't get a seventy-five pound book. I mean, also normally that's too much for a book. Also that, yeah. I really want the story because imagine if I have a similar bookshop. I'm rummaging, I'm rummaging. I find it, mm-hmm. Death of Jezebel. Yeah, look inside. How much is it? Two pounds fifty. I've been talking about the two pound fifty since because I know yeah. how much you've paid for some of them, and I was like bouncing around Weymouth just shouting two pound fifty. I love a bargain. I love a bargain. Mystery and bargain. Should we talk about the book? Yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about the book. So, okay. Should I kick us off? Go on, kick us off. Yeah. So, this week we were reading If I Should Die by Grace F. Edwards. And this was a Hannah Knight pick, I believe. It was my pick, and I had two reasons for picking this. So the first reason I chose it is uh, we talked last season about wanting to read more mysteries by women of colour, and Grace Edwards is an African, or was an African-American woman, so that's the first reason. The second reason I chose it is as an example that it's never too late to start writing mysteries because Grace Edwards actually published her first novel when she was 55 and the novel that we're talking about today If I Should Die she wrote when she was 64. Oh well I didn't know that but that's a really great reason and good for you Grace. When was she writing? What, What kind of era? I'm assuming sort of like 70s. She died at the age of 87 in last year, actually. I just I just thought, you know, that's 
really inspirational. That is very inspirational. I really like as well that the copy that you've lent me, very kindly lent me, has one of your Ex Libris Hannah Knight stickers in the front. Okay, the reason it has that is because I do want that copy returned to my library. Well, yeah, that's what I'm assuming that's exactly why you've got these stickers. <laughs> yeah, um, because it is quite difficult to get copies of Grace Edwards' novels. Yeah, so that's the reason I chose it. And also, I, I sort of thought it linked into a bit around you maybe thinking about having a change in career and... Mm. I mean, you're not old at all, but I just thought it was an encouraging story that it's, no, it's never too late to change and do something different. It has crossed my mind. I I very much, when I left uni, my original post-uni dream was to become a writer. So it has crossed my mind to revisit that. So for listeners, I've quit my job recently and uh, in three weeks I'll be unemployed. So (laughs) I should start to think about next steps. And that that has crossed my mind. So yeah, good good idea. And conversations all round, I feel. Yeah. So I thought I thought that was quite inspirational. And um, I know I said only two reasons, but a third reason is it is a female sleuth. Sure is. Um, I don't know what to do about the fact that I want to ask you um about the plot and you've got pizza. (laughs) We can pause, we can pause. Do you wanna just chat about other stuff and then Come back when you finish your pizza. No, 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 no. It's fine. I'm going to do a... Do what? I need to... No, do you know what? I'm going to freestyle. No, I'm going to freestyle. 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 freestyle my summary. Okay. So, If I Should Die by Grace Edwards. <laughs> okay. It's... <laughs> okay. It's set it's in Harlem. as well. <laughs> it's set in Harlem in the 1990s. And the action centres around the experience of Marley Anderson, who is an ex-cop turned amateur sleuth. And she is walking her dog one night and she witnesses a kid, well, an attempted kidnapping of a child and a murder of a man called Erskine who is her friend acquaintance who runs the local choir and she sets out to investigate what has happened and in doing so she uncovers a network of corruption in Harlem. That's a great summary. Thanks I'm pretty pleased with that I'm not gonna lie. And what did you think? First thoughts, initial thoughts? Okay, so my initial thoughts were, I at the beginning, I thought it was fantastic. I was just very much enjoying it because Marley was a force to be reckoned a bit with. She, for context, she had actually been thrown off the police force for punching this other police officer in the face but he was clearly awful so he deserved it so we we back marley on we definitely backed marley yeah so her character i just thought was fantastic and her observations about being a woman in harlem but also her observations about what it was like to be a black woman in harlem 
as well. And also like a black woman on the police force as well. And what that, yeah. that comes with that. I thought that was pretty, pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the other thing is, initially, she quite reminded me of Blanche, Blanche White of Barbara Neely's series, because she is looking after her nephew and Blanche also looks after, well, her nephew and, and her niece. And in both cases, it's because the sister has has died. Um, so I thought that sort of relationship of being an aunt who's taken on a parent carer role mm. was was similar. I think refreshing to see a depiction of uh, like an adult child relationship that isn't necessarily parent parent child like a different a different sweet relationship as well she's very protective about over him yeah and I also very much liked her relationship with her dad so she's very close with her dad and her dad is a jazz musician in Harlem and uh, they all sort of live together in this extended extended family. So I thought the setup was strong. I then sort of went off it a bit for a few reasons. So one reason was I thought the depiction of her romance with <laughs> with detective Tad Honeywell <laughs> was cringy and (laughs) and uh, like uh, some of the the sex scenes in particular were particularly toe curling uh so i i I did you while i was reading them just picturing you like lack your total disdain (laughs) i didn't like that the second thing that i had some personal a personal issue with is that one of the police officers who turns out to be corrupt, his wife has MS, has multiple sclerosis. And the only thing you find out about her is that she's in a wheelchair. And it's sort yeah. of suggested that part of the reason why the police officer has become involved with the gangs is because he's having to care. I don't know, caring for his wife has been really stressful. So just on a personal level, I was not, I was not down with that presentation of someone with ms and actually initially when it was presented part of me was like i really hope that this wife who has ms is going to turn out to be the linchpin of all the crime (laughs) in a in a brilliant twist but that didn't happen and she's also just like she's not really featured and then he obviously has to like do all this horrible stuff to pay for her care but he also is just like sleeping around he's not actually really looking after her emotionally she's really kind of bit weak as as a element of the plot I totally agree yeah I mean yeah his name is Danny Danny is a complete expletive expletive (laughs) (laughs) this is a clean podcast it's a clean podcast yeah so I was a bit I was a bit torn I have to say what about you yeah, I, th- I felt quite similar. I think one thing as well, which I did really like about it at the beginning, and I did I did maintain 
slightly was that I thought that the way, even if it wasn't necessarily always pleasant, that I thought that the way she depicted Harlem was really like vivid, very vivid. And at the beginning, it was a lot more positive than it, towards the end is, it's quite harrowing and sort of the experiences that she has aren't pleasant but they are very vivid you do get a very kind of real sense of this of the place and there are some bits in there which are really lovely for example when she's talking about the market essentially the 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 like police the official codes have made the market move around so that it's not it's not where it used to be but where it used to be on the main stretch was like this kind of hub of activity and they had like music and speakers and I thought that was really lovely and sad at the same time that that obviously it's no longer where it was and it's like kind of lost a bit of the Harlem spirit so I really liked that element of it however I couldn't really (laughs) get past the fact that so much of it was about Tad Honeywell and actually like obviously the sex scenes were awkward and cringy and I wasn't delighted about those but it, it wasn't even just those it was like the fact that that's all she seems to actually really think about and it sort of felt like it became a lot more about him than it did about the case quite a lot and I found that a bit disheartening and some of the other female characters that could have been more central or more or more involved in the plot weren't in favor of this weird romance that she's having with her old colleague for example um i liked uh, mrs morris quite a lot i thought she was lovely which is this the mother of one Little. of the choir boys who doesn't get kidnapped but is part of the attempted kidnapping mm. um and, I, and I, am i right in thinking she's also kind of not adopted, but she's sort of sort of part fostering this other kid, Clarence, who's like an eighteen-year-old guy, who's also involved in the choir, and she's basically like sort of tried to look after him to keep him keep him safe, keep him off the streets, and keep him kind of actively doing things like the choir, like basketball. And she's just a really good person. So I thought she could have been in it more, but but Marley is really caught up in this romance, and she spends so long thinking about when they'll finally get to have sex rather than <laughs> trying to crack the case. So I found that a bit annoying. Yeah. And yeah, so I wasn't delighted about that. Um, just to sort of give you, to give an example of sort of some of the cringy lines related to the depiction of the romance between Marley and Tad. The lipstick's only the appetizer, I whispered. I know, he smiled rubbing my fingertips against his chin. When can I start on the main dish? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. Now, don't, now, don't get me wrong. I don't think there's... I don't think that there's not a place for excitement and romance in a crime novel. It doesn't have to all be blood and gore and murder, but I do think that was too much. It just it, it it added nothing. It made me think about um, last week's read, Christiana Brand, where we said every sentence had a reason. Came back to it. So much conversation, so much chat, so much thought about Tad, and all it was about was just he's really fit, and that was it. I was just I was annoyed by it. I was quite annoyed by it. Yeah. Um, and when I yeah. realised that, that wasn't really going away, I thought. <sighs> think as well the other thing that happened early on which was horrific 
was that her Marley's friend, who she enlisted to help her with the case by getting a file from where she worked, had her throat cut open. And Deborah managed to survive. And I felt as well with that, like initially, initially Marley was obviously really distressed that this had happened to Deborah. But there was a whole section of the book where so she'd just completely forgotten about that. Yeah. I wanted Deborah to be in it a bit more as well. I wanted her to have a bit more of a I wanted her to have a bit more of a victorious end, you know, because she has this, she gets attacked and she, basically because she's helping Marley. And then she survives, and it's this like lovely moment where she's able to speak again after all this time. But then she doesn't really get a kind of like a kind of victorious return to life, which I thought was a bit annoying. I wanted I wanted more from from her um and then the other thing that did annoy me not annoy me but disappoint me and this this might be unfair now I think this might be because I've been watching a lot of Line of Duty and of course Line of Duty is about corrupt police officers nicking bent coppers nicking bent coppers indeed (laughs) bent chuckleheads if you will and um I've got a bit in I got quite into it so because I've been watching that, I was slightly, I feel a bit like, a bit overwhelmed that what, why are there more corrupt police officers? Is, are they, is, it feels a bit depressing. Are they everywhere? But I'm also conscious that that's due to circumstance and perhaps I have my own viewing choice. Um, so maybe slightly unfair. Um, I mean, I think like any profession, there's always going to be wrong-uns. There are always going to be wrong-uns, it's true. Mm. I did I did I didn't I also had no idea at all there's a whole bit where they find this secret code in a notebook yeah I know and Marley says something like oh I have no idea how to combinate it I was also like I have no idea what combinate means and they just read out those numbers and they're like and then this (laughs) and then she phones up someone else and they give her a code and she did like the dates that something was bill oh yeah i'm with you it made no sense i might try Mm. and find it here we go you ready for this yeah um okay uh it was a nine digit number 313 is the address of the building where the body was found i don't know what the other numbers mean but i think we're getting close i left the table navigated through the tight crowd to the phone near the ladies room and dialed bertha's number Bertha, great name. Her, she's the woman who works at the beauty parlour. Um, her voice came on against the background of loud talk and TV drama, probably Sally, Jesse, Raphael. <laughs> I would watch that. Bertha's beauty shop, it's our duty to make you a beauty. Another great saying. Listen, Miss Bert, it's me, Marley. I dreamed about this beauty shop last night. You know, the pink something or other. Fingernail. So this is actually a real beauty parlour, the pink fingernail. But listen, I dreamed about the place. I want you to put the number in for me. Check the address with Viv. She spoke to me again, her voice still high. It's 3370, so you're going to have to drop the zero if you, you want to combine it, 4060, okay? Or you can drop the three and still combinate it, whichever way you think is going to bring you your million bucks faster. Uh, I listened, unable to decide. As, as I would, because I don't know what it means. Uh, it was frustrating not to be born. Oh, sorry. It was frustrating to be born and raised in the heart of Numbers City. Where's that? Uh, and not understand the first damn thing about combinating a digit. It must be. There it is, I said. <laughs> really? Uh, Rosetta Stone. The address of this shop is 3370, and she opened on 11787. 
Nightlife's body was found behind 3130 8th Avenue. A phone call downstairs will tell you if the building was bought on 10-4-89. Now, I'm not, I'm not following that. So if listeners are following it, I'd really like them to get in touch and explain it to us because I, I could maybe, maybe have understood the date thing, but I, what was she talking about with that phone call? It sounded like she was talking about a gambling get bet. I Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea at all. What we're saying here is anyone who is a massy person... Get what, in touch. What? what? Yeah, what that whole... that lingo? That whole section, I just... I, I, ca- I cannot give you anything because no. I didn't understand it either. Although I would say that in this book, there is a phrase used that up to this point, I've only ever heard my dad use. Go on. And it is referring to McDonald's, the fast food chain, as Mickey D's. Mickey D's, yes. Unusual. And I think quite old school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly quite 90s because it's do you in call here. It? Mackie, Mackie D's. Just a Mackie's from me. Just a Mackie's. So yeah. cash, so cash. Um, I tell you what was a bit spooky though, is because obviously this is set in in Harlem and around New York in the nineties. So there is a point at which she takes someone for lunch at the World Trade Center. Yes, I thought that was quite quite. That made me feel yeah. And just knowing what's going to with this kind of hustle and bustle, and it's just quite a glamorous thing. And they have a, a lunch at it's called like Windows to the World or something, which must be yeah. really up to see the see the view. Yeah, that's quite chilling. Yeah, yeah. And I liked that they referred to um, dog poo as dog gifts. <laughs> Lovely dog gift. Don't don't step in the dog gift. Next time I clear out the cat litter tray, I'll think of it as a cat gift. A cat gift. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's something I did like, just to kind of circle back to something I did like. Yeah. Is Marley has this amazing thing where she's got like a strip of wood on the wall and she has like a secret panel that slides open to reveal a mirrored glass shelf bar. So cool. So cool. I actually almost can't picture it. So imagine it's just like a like a panel and then you push and then it and then there's a bar comes out. That would be really cool. That's very cool. I've I've always been quite quite interested in the idea of a lazy Susan, and that's way better. Oh, a lazy Susan. I went to a wedding where it was all of the food was on a giant lazy Susan. So you were on a big table with 12 people and it was lots of uh, loads and loads of different dishes. And then you had to turn them around. It was a good way of speaking to strangers as well. You had to be like, oh, could I get the whatever like if i if if for example if we went to a wedding and you were on one side of the of the big table and i was on the other and i could mm. see you reaching for something i'd really struggle not to be like spin it along so she can't get to it <laughs> and just call this mischief i feel but i am really part i'm kind of interested in the idea yeah. It, did, the, did the um bar thing also make you think about the globe bar that we um did we talk about the globe bar or was there a globe thing 
Maybe that was oh it. yeah, yeah. In the mimosa tree mystery, yeah. there, there was a globe that was a say. Not yeah. Although I'm actually kind of interested in the idea of a globe bar. A globe bar. If you could just yeah. say "come in" and then press a button, and your globe just splits open to yeah. reveal drinks. That'd be pretty cool. Maybe you could have that in your library. <laughs> Maybe I could. <laughs> I could get it commissioned. I, do, I feel I have been quite down on the book. I did, en- I did enjoy it in some ways. Like I think it was like it was well written. Also, I also enjoyed. I mean, obviously, we really like a closed setup, um, but I quite enjoyed that it wasn't because we've read so many of those recently that it was quite yeah. refreshing to have a different style. To put this into context, so this is the first novel in a series of Marley Anderson novels. So I think there's three or four others. So. I wonder whether this first novel was doing more in sort of setting mm. setting the scene, setting up her background relationships. I, I suppose I'd be I would be interested to read another one. I'd be interested to read yeah, the I'd second be one. To read another one. I think because like I actually did like the style of writing and I like Marley as a character. I think I'd be keen to know if that's developed further. Yeah, and I did think actually maybe that was part of the thing as well is that the description of Marley's relationship with her dad and with her nephew Alvin was so, it felt so genuine. I thought actually, to be honest, I think a lot of what I liked about it is her, the way she writes about people and place more than the plot and more than obviously, obviously Tad. Um, I did find it difficult to take Alvin seriously because it just makes me think of the chipmunks. <laughs> Alvin, yeah. Simon, and Theodore. Where were Al- where were Simon and Theodore? They weren't they weren't in the plot. No, that they is come true. Into the next books. Yeah, Alvin, Simon, Theodore. <laughs> the the da, 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 da. <laughs> I mean, that as a series was so weird. So I mean, strange. why why had the man adopted? three chipmunks and decided to raise them as his sons in jumpers with letters on for their names. I actually have a really great story about Alvin and the chipmunks. So we had a de- we had a, a video at home, which was Alvin and the chipmunks, um, some sort of like adventure. Oh yeah, we had that as well. Yeah. It was excellent. I think there was like some sort of something like cheese was involved. Yeah. In the <laughs> Um, and I remember going into school when I was in year one. I mean, it was a regular Monday morning thing that you'd write your news in like a notebook. And I wrote that at the weekend we'd watched Alvin and the Chipmunks and um, my teacher changed it. <laughs> like, so I would have been five or six. She changed it to the Chippendales. And I didn't understand what that meant at the time, um, obviously. And my mum and dad were like, why would she do that? Because <laughs> obviously I went home and was like, who, was, who were they? Who were they? <laughs> But it's funny you should mention the Chippendales because um, I recently listened to a podcast all about the Chippendales and it was weird but brilliant. So it's called Welcome to Your Fantasy. I've heard about this. It is excellent. It's another definitely time to listen. Yeah, it's about the sort of the murky underworld of the Chippendales, which actually does include a murder. Someone takes a hit out on someone else. And there's this whole um, side story about they try and uh, assassinate 
a rival male stripper group with cyanide injections. Right, okay, scoring. One, two, three. I'm torn, I'm a six or a seven. I think I am a six. Six, I'm about to write. I'm a six. Six, twelve. Okay, our one line. Vivid description of setting and like familial bond. Oh, nice. How about vivid description of Harlem? Yeah. I'm going to put and familial bonds. A bit formal. <laughs> well, but. But. Cringy romance. Right. What can we learn for our own case? What can we learn? What does she do that's helpful? I mean, we should really learn what that code was about, really, shouldn't we? Yeah, possibly. The thing that I was going to say is Marley does have a nemesis, an old nemesis who's the police officer who um, she hates because he he didn't investigate her case and he fired her. But what does so, that mean for our case? Oh, and I don't know if it's directly linked to the case, but I do think everyone should have a nemesis and it's absolutely fine to have a nemesis. Yeah. Do you have one? Yeah. <laughs> you know I have a nemesis. I've told like, you about this before. Primary school yeah. rivalry that you have. Yeah. Still, you yeah. still think of her as your nemesis? Yes. Wow. You do, <laughs> you do hold a grudge, it's true. I do hold a grudge. I do hold a I'm grudge. I'm actually just doing this podcast so that you don't... Uh, <laughs> there's never a grudge held. No, I suppose what I'm saying is because the fact that she's got a nemesis and she doesn't trust the police does lead mm. her to investigate and ultimately solve the case. So there's maybe yeah. something there around... I don't know, be motivated by passion. Don't trust the police. Don't don't trust the police. No, no. You can of course, you can. Of course we trust the chuckleheads. Hashtag yeah. trust the chuckleheads that can trend. What about something around like she's very she's very persistent, is Marley. And even in the face of danger, she's like, gotta crack on, we gotta keep trying. Persistent, but maybe there's another thing we can learn. Don't get sidetracked by romance because if she hadn't have been True. at Tad's house, then True. she probably would have solved the case quicker. So, okay, I won't. Yeah. I won't get too caught up in romance to not solve this case. That's all that, that applies to you too. I know that it was your wedding at your case, but it's all business. It's got to be about the business. It's all business, yeah. I sound. I sound. On the case. <laughs> okay, so for today's case notes, we're actually going to return to the case of season one, which was the case of the missing salmon, which went missing from my wedding on 22nd of July 2017. And we ended season one with some uncertainty we didn't manage to solve the case of the missing salmon but I did say that I would update if there are any developments and there has been a development so slightly confusingly but Andrew 
my husband received a message from his friend Andrew also confusing right okay also confusing but commonly known as Yorkie Yorkie great we, we need a nickname in that situation yeah and Yorkie sent a message just you know like a general how are you getting on what's going on Andrew asked about did you eat any of the salmon so he said in quite aggressive way he actually said you didn't eat it did you oh which is not how I would approach him. That's not our style. That's quite not cute. Not our style, but never mind. Then Yorkie replied with, lol, thought you know my thoughts on fish. If I had eaten it, the mystery would have been who blocked the toilets with vomit. <laughs> That's funny. So he sent that on the 17th of January, Yorkie. Apologies that I didn't uh, update sooner on that. (laughs) However, more recently, so on the 9th of April, Yorkie randomly, out of the blue, simply sent the following message. Any luck shedding light on the salmon of doubt? Question mark. And that's it. And that's it. And Andrew forwarded that message to me with suspect Yorkie. You think he's suspect? Surely not. Okay. Well, also, there's a whole extra thing about Yorkie that makes this this funnier, and it's related to mystery, because I did a murder mystery with... And Yorkie was there. Yorkie was a police officer. That was his role. And he was just useless, completely useless. So I was trying to quiz him to get information. I, I was trying to smuggle some nuclear plans, as you do, or I something like that. And he was just like, I don't know anything. And it was impossible to know if he was acting or not. Like, he was so amazing at being a hapless police officer. It was off the charts, or he was just genuinely hapless. That's amazing. Anyway, to loop back to the case, I think it's very suspicious that Yorkie sent a message out of the blue three months after he'd initially been asked about the salmon. Do you? Referring to the salmon of doubt. Do you, though? Yes. No, I genuinely do. Even though it sounds like he's allergic to fish. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know something you think he you think he's covering for someone but equally is intrigued he could be he could be interesting well if he's listening to this we're on to you yorkie if that is indeed your real name (laughs) yeah anyway so i just wanted to update you on that um i've realized i've been quite remiss (laughs) because i haven't actually done anything further to (laughs) to investigate it's gone cold what can you do no 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 but maybe i will get in touch with yorkie about salmon of doubt you should, I think. I also called quite like to know why he calls it that. Because that implies he thinks it was never there. No, I know. That's what I think is weird about it. I think it's weird. Oh, and I should also add that he put salmon of doubt in inverted commas as well. Mm. Suspicious. Maybe he thinks we've just made it up for the show. I'm not going to lie like, to you because it's not. we've not found anything at all to even suggest there was it was out it a few times has made me think was there a salmon but I know the only reason that I know that I haven't made up in my head is because you know that you you did buy it and it was there 
But it's yeah, made I've got proof. Like, have I made it up my mind? Ooh, no, but on the case, actually, we should go and do our reconstruction of the case because I think the museum is open, so... Okay, yeah, I'd like to do that. And we have our pub lunch. Our pub lunch, yeah. Great. Okay. Right. Whoop, whoop. Done. Done. (laughs) Our work here is done. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the unsolved case of the missing salmon we talked about if i should die by grace f edwards celebrated successful wheeling and dealing in mystery business and heard all about the salmon of doubt in case notes mes amis there are only five episodes left in season two so if you would like to nominate a queen of crime then now is your chance all you need to do is send us a voice message to missingsalmoncase at gmail.com with who you think we should crown as another queen of crime and we'll enter you into a prize draw to win an exclusive murder mystery bundle as always you can follow us on instagram at missing salmon case to be the first to know about new episodes see photos related to the case what's on our bookshelf and importantly photos of our feline sidekicks hastings and hercule it's also where you can chat to us about all things mystery next episode we will be discussing the killings at kingfisher hill by Sophie Hanna, which is available from hive.co.uk if you'd like to support your local independent bookseller. We also highly recommend the audible version of The Killings at Kingfisher Hill, which is performed by Julian Rind Tutt. Until then, mes amis, keep sleuthing! This podcast is created, produced and edited by Maddie Berry and Hannah Knight. Our music is sourced from Melody Loops by Jeff Harvey.